Hello, I'm James Wilson, Project Editor at IFLR, and this is the IFLR Awards podcast. In the IFLR Americas Awards, we decided to recognize the late Paul Volcker with the prestigious Outstanding Achievement Award. It's obviously a massive pity that we weren't able to present this award to Paul Volcker in person. Paul set the bar extremely high across so many fields, and apart from anything else, the Volcker rule has been a huge topic for IFLR over recent years. America's editor John Crabb caught up with Thomas Ross, who was appointed by Paul Volcker as president of the Volcker Alliance in 2016. Paul Volcker set up the Volcker Alliance in 2013, and it says on its website that its mission is to address the challenge of effective execution of public policies and to rebuild public trust in government. So I think it's safe to say that this is not yet mission accomplished and that its work is as important as ever. We hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, hi, Tom. How are things going today? Doing well, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today and for accepting the Lifetime Achievement Award on behalf of Mr. Volker. Well, thank you. And I, I just have to say to start with that it's an honor for me to receive any award uh, on behalf of Mr. Volker, uh, given my admiration for him. But this one would be particularly meaningful to him. And so we're we're very appreciative. I know his family is. I've talked to them about it, and they're very appreciative, as are all of us at the Volker Alliance. I'm really glad to hear that. That's lovely to hear. So Paul obviously did have a huge impact across many areas, not not only in, in our field at IFLR, but first and foremost as an economist. Um, he also was an advocate of responsible public policy and government. Um, he had strong rules, views on the role of regulation that should play in the market and was, of course, an educationalist. Um, so just to, to kick things off, so what would you say in your view was the one thing that made him stand out across so many fields and, and what lessons should we learn from him? Well, I think there's a number of lessons we can learn, and I think there are a number of characteristics that he had um, that allowed him to be uh, as influential as he was throughout his career. I think first and foremost, he was a courageous person who believed in doing the right thing. Uh, and he would do that no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the fallout, or particularly no matter what the consequences to himself, he would do what was right. I think further, he, he valued his independence. Um, you, you know, most people had no idea what his politics were or how he felt about um, a lot of issues that, that weren't within his responsibility at the time. Um, and he, he really valued staying independent uh, and being viewed as a voice that was credible and independent. And I think that was also uh, a real strength uh, that he had. He uh, was willing always to um, to speak out and to share his views, um, and he had many. Uh, and I think it, it's uh, that that is often um, a characteristic of some somebody who uh, didn't necessarily have as much influence as he did. But because of that independence and that courage, uh, when he spoke, people listened. They sure did. Um, so thinking now about his impact on. The financial regulatory space. What do you, what do you think his his greatest legacy has been? Well, again, I think um, the fact that as Fed chair, he he was willing to embrace and engage regulation 
that hasn't always been true among Fed chairs. You know, they, they sometimes um, have shot away from the regulatory side. And, and but he, he believed deeply that strong regulations were important. Um, I, I think he was both proud of and believed deeply that the Volcker rule was critical. Um, and I think he, he felt like it was a way to create separation between sort of traditional bankers and investment bankers and um, to be sure that we're protecting people's money when they, when they deposit it in a bank. And, uh, but, you know, when he dealt with regulatory issues throughout his career, he, had, I think, also had a sense of balance, what was the right balance uh, that should be struck um, and to allow the markets to function well, but at the same time to be sure that uh, he did what he could to be sure the public interest was protected. So a couple of years ago, I attended an event in New York where Mr. Volcker was in attendance on the panel and he outlined his fears that the derivatives market was poised to cause another crash similar to what we saw in 2008, um, which is obviously a sentiment that has been echoed by many. Um, was this kind of top of his agenda in terms of regulatory priorities and concerns for the, for the last few years of his life? It was certainly on his agenda, uh, no doubt about it. But I think probably what stayed, you know, um, very high on his list uh, was this cultural difference between sort of the traditional role of banking and traditional bankers and investment bankers and and their desire to uh, invest and, and the ability to... Um, he didn't see those as compatible interests. And so it was important for him to, to structure regulations in a way that protected deposits and protected public money. And I think he also believed that banks needed adequate capital and needed to preserve and protect that capital. And, and I think he, his uh, work during the 2008 crisis with the Economic Recovery Commission um, and the advice he gave was really around those very issues, around how do we um, test to be sure there's adequate capital and, uh, and how do we protect the public interest. Um, so kind of coming forward to to this year then, so nobody was really expecting that the financial crisis that eventually did come would be caused by um, a global pandemic like we've seen, which isn't really what was kind of forecasted. Um, it seems for now that the post-financial crisis regulation that Mr. Volcker helped to design has helped put the financial sector in a much better position to navigate through this. So I'd like to know what he would have made of the situation we're in right now and what the regulatory response has been, um, what do you think he would have he would have done? What would his response have been? And do you think he would have thought that we were repeating the same mistakes we've we've made in the past? Um, it's, it's hard to predict exactly what he would have said. Um, I think you're right that there you know many many people believe that there was going to be you know, a downturn, that there'd be a, a business cycle recession of some sort at some point that we've been coasting along too, um, too well. Uh, but I don't think anybody would have foreseen the suddenness of uh, the impact on the economy that was caused by the virus and, and is still being caused by the virus. I'm not sure that uh, even Mr. Volcker um, has, had ever experienced anything quite like it like we're going through now. So developing a response, um, you know, it, it's hard to predict what he might have said. I, I will say that I think uh, 
his his work along with uh, you know the all the people that were involved in uh, designing the regulations that were in, in embodied in Dodd Frank, uh, of which he had some influence, but obviously not all. But I think those uh, in many ways. Um, put us in a better position. Uh, as, as I said earlier, the banks, I think, are stronger, uh, better capitalized, better able to handle this kind of circumstance than perhaps they were uh, before 2008 as a result of the regulations. I think what he would have not liked uh, is what's happened uh, over the last few years when there's been a move toward more deregulation. Um, and, and I think he, he believed there was some some softening, uh, if you will, for smaller banks of the of the Volcker rule, but I, I don't think he would have been pleased with some of the direction of the new um, uh, deregulation efforts. In terms of what he would have done here, um, you know, he was a big advocate in, in 2008 for infrastructure spending, uh, believing that that accomplished something that was very necessary, but also was a government stimulus and allowed uh, the creation of jobs and 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 um, help the economy. So he 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 probably would have been on that same page at this point. Um, I'm not sure he uh, you know would have uh, you know loved the idea of using you know the the influx of large amounts of money, printing money by the Fed, quite to the extent we're seeing now. But it's hard to know because this is such a different and and more dramatic crisis. Um, I, I do think he would have seen the need for a, a robust and, and full response because of the seriousness of the situation. Okay, it's interesting. I think there's many different approaches to how this should have been handled, and it's interesting to hear the different yeah. opinions on that. And I'm no expert, so there, I'm sure, sure that my opinion wouldn't matter at all, but um, it, you know, he, he would have had opinions <laughs> and he would have spoken them out, that's for sure. So I'm sure he would have. And I, frankly, I think we miss his voice right now. I think that's a very good point. It's what the Fed is doing seems to be going unquestioned to an extent. Um, another achievement of Mr. Volcker's was, of course, establishing the Volcker Alliance in 2013, of which, of course, you are the president. Um, can you talk us through what the organization does and how Mr. Volcker helped to shape that vision? Absolutely. Um, Mr. Volcker, uh, you know, twice in his life chaired uh, commissions to look at the civil service and how it needed to be reformed. He deeply believed in the public service. You know, he his dad was a city manager and he talked about his dad a lot. Uh, and I think his dad had a huge influence over him and his commitment to and desire to be a part of the public service. And so he spent his, himself a lot of his career in public service. But he, he believed that for government to be effective, um, there needed to be uh, a, a high level of talented um, people in government uh, who had the right skills, particularly good management skills to be able to manage government. Um, I think when he started the alliance, uh, there was not, frankly, a lot of people who thought it was um you know, uh, worth tackling that that there was just not enough interest in in good government and how government works and and so forth. I think this crisis has brought to the forefront more than perhaps any of us would have ever thought uh, just how important government is, how important it is to have the right people in the right place, uh, and how important it is for those people to be able to manage through crisis and to be able to see things coming around the corner, if you will, that others might not see. 
Um, and so his, his vision was to create an organization that could uh, help push for um, more talent and better talent, better prepared talent uh, into government and to help prepare those that are already in government to do a better job. So he saw one way of doing that is working with schools of public affairs, public administration. Uh, but he also, um, you know, believed that, that that the organization should be focused on trying to attract um, and improve the talent pipeline into government. You know, we we had before we we had the pandemic, we had a government uh, workforce crisis already on the horizon. Uh, we were not attracting young people into government. Uh, there was a large number of of government workers that were reaching retirement age. And so there was going to be a gap, um, and that has been both exposed and exacerbated by the pandemic, I think. Uh, so there's a lot of work to do if we're going to restore uh, really effective government, and I think the public sees why that's important now. And so hopefully going forward, there'll be more attention to the work we're trying to do. Just following on from that then, can you tell me about the, the government's university initiative that has just recently been launched? and? why you and, of course, Mr. Volker consider this to be such an important project? Well, again, I think he saw universities as, a, as an asset to government um, and, and so in both in terms of solving problems, but also providing talent. Uh, and so we, we, uh, in, uh, we had a, uh, actually had a, a high-ranking high government civil servant, uh, a guy named Dustin Brown, who was at the Office of Management and Budget, been there 17 years, took a sabbatical with us. And um, really, he and he and I went around the country and, and our staff with us and uh, sort of tried to figure out what was going on around the country in terms of relationships between universities and, and government and found that, you know, there was some good work happening, but it was all sort of one-offs. And so the, the, the idea behind the Government to University Initiative was to build regional networks of universities and government officials to tie them together in two particular ways. One was to improve the talent pipeline. So what is it that universities could do better to uh, help students be prepared, but also attracted to government service? And what does government need to do in, in order to do a better job of recruiting? And that you know, when you get down to the regional level, there's more real interest in in the pipeline than there might be from Washington. And so doing this on a regional basis, we thought made a lot of sense. Uh, so we've launched sites now in Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, uh, and Kansas City. And we are you know, on the verge of doing one in Chicago. Uh, and, and each of those are approaching these problems of the talent pipeline differently. Uh, but we've learned a lot that we can share with them. The other part of the equation is for universities to use their talent uh, by doing research to help government solve problems. And, you know, we're seeing now how uh, in, a, in, a, in a crisis like the pandemic, how important universities are to, um, you know, to discovering, uh, the uh, you know, both a vaccine, but also uh, potential treatments. Uh, so uh, I think it's a very important initiative that's coming at a very important time. Okay. Uh, and was, was that one of his ideas or is that something you've developed? Well, it, it's one that we came up with uh, in the Alliance, but he was strongly supportive of it. Uh, I, I know he, um, you know, it took him a while to, to really believe it might work. Uh, but as he saw it unfold, I think before he died, he uh, was definitely very happy with the fact that we had launched it and that it was going as well as it was. So aside from from this and from 
from other kind of more obviously tangible achievements like installing the Volcker rule? Would you see signs that any of the other things he, he spent his life advocating for have taken root? Well, again, I think, you know, he, his, his lifelong commitment was to public service, uh, both his own public service, but also improving uh, government service and, and the, the way government works. And um, I think now we're, we're seeing attention to issues like civil service reform, like barriers to hiring people into government, uh, like the need for more flexibility of government to get the specific kinds of uh, talent they need to fill specific jobs. You know, we've been in some ways banging our head against the wall and he banged his head against the wall to a certain extent for a long time on these issues. And we're now starting to see some movement. I think it's another example of how he really was sort of a man ahead of his time in many ways. Uh, he saw problems and saw solutions for those problems, sometimes well before other people ever knew that was a problem. And um, I think that's that's a, a kind of characteristic that made him uh, such enormously successful, but also such a incredible model of public servant. Uh, he, he was really, to me, he was his the, 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 the kind of role model that every public servant should want to be. He, he was dedicated. He did the right thing. He had a level of integrity and independence. He was, you know, free from politics. Uh, he, he did the right thing. And that's what we need of our public servants. Uh, wonderful. So thank you so much, Tom. It's great to hear all the great things you guys are doing. Thank you. In his honor. And I'm, I'm very happy that we've been able to award him this uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, I know of no one who deserves it more than Mr. Volker. And, uh, you know, our, his legacy and his public service inspires us uh, every day when we go to work. And I think it inspires a lot of other people around the country and the world, you know. And I, you asked earlier, I'll just make one other point before we leave. And, and that is, what would he like to have seen differently about the way we've responded to the pandemic? You know, Mr. Volker believed that the United States should be a leader. Um, and he, he showed that throughout his career, um, I, I think, in trying to support and build international uh, organizations and structures that could, uh, you know, help the world. And uh, he believed the United States had a role to play there. And I think he would be disappointed that the United States is not playing a more significant role right now uh, as a leader in, in this pandemic. Well, uh, be interesting to watch how the next few months unfolds in that space. For sure. Thank you so much, Tom, and enjoy the rest of your day. Speak soon. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed this interview, we are producing more, so please keep a lookout for those on IFLR.com. All episodes are free to listen to on the website, and there is also a lot more coming in terms of IFLR awards, as well as IFLR's continuous coverage of the market. Thank you for listening.